Today on The Future of Fandom, we serve up an open conversation about tennis. My name's Adam Connor, I'm your host, and on this episode, we explore how the U.S. Tennis Association, or USTA, is crafting brand love, get it, for next-gen fans in partnership with their chief brand officer, Amy Choyne. Amy's been a lifelong tennis fan. She's attended the U.S. Open ever since she was four. And in 2016, after various tenures stewarding brands across fashion and retail, she got the chance to serve at the helm of the sport she's loved ever since she could hold a racket. A little over six years later, Amy reflects on that time with me today and speaks about how fan engagement has evolved in that time and what she's excited about moving forward. We also touch on topics like the growing intersection between elite athletes and social voices, the difference between sports fans and fans of other industries, and just a little bit about pickleball. I'm not a lifelong tennis diehard like Amy, but I learned a lot about how she approaches the sport as an operator, and I think you will too. So let us, sorry, sorry, another tennis pun my fault. Oops, oops, did it again. Let's just predict the future, why don't we, with USTA and Amy Choyne. Amy, how are you? Thank you so much for joining me and uh, having this conversation. Thanks for having me. So, first things first. We are in a moment of reflection for uh, tennis as a sport, being in a, a bit of a planning set for 2023. We've just come out of an electric season. A bunch of new things have happened, new entrants, new stars, and maybe people that you've known for a long, long time, but that the general public might not have. Just give me a picture of what this season of the sport has meant for you and USTA and what you're most excited about coming out of that. Well, this year, 2023, has been a tremendous year for the USTA and the US Open. Uh, It is the second year after the pandemic when we let fans back in. Uh, We had a very strong attendance, probably the strongest ever. And um, every single uh, night and day session in Arthur Ashe was actually sold out, which is a first. Um, It was an all-time high for food and beverage, for merchandise, for attendance, the energy at Arthur Ashe Stadium and on site at uh, the NTC was unlike anything I've ever seen. And um, I can't say it was all because of us. Um, We had a lot of stars align. Um, We obviously had the Serena effect, as we call it, in that she had her swan song uh, and performed incredible. And it was also a moment of time where we felt a little bit of a torch being kind of passed down, you know, with Francis Tiafo and Carlos Alcaraz coming up and all of these great new players. Um, and people were really excited to see all that energy. I bet. And I have seen that in other sports that I have followed from childhood. Tennis is a little newer to me, um, but I have an aunt and uncle who are really into it. So it's been sort of like in my world. But I've never, I've never played. Uh, unfortunately, I, I played tennis. It turns more into like the home run derby. There's I still wish. Time. I there's still, of course, still time. My wife plays. She seems to enjoy it. I feel like she would kick my butt. So I have not challenged her yet at this because that would be more of a of a comedy session than anything else. Um, but I want to ask this because like you've had so many milestone moments this year, culminating uh, in things like the U.S. Open, and now you get to reflect and move forward to next year. I just want to ask because 
your journey to USTA was not necessarily via working in a whole bunch of other sports, which is typically what I see. Once you get into sports, you stay in there, but you have experience from fashion, from retail. You know, what is different in transitioning to sports marketing in comparison or running a sports brand, being a steward of a sports brand, as compared to those other industries? Because, well, you're a little unique in terms of my the interviewing experience. I haven't I haven't seen many people make that type of change after so long in that world. I'm just curious, like, what inspired you to to move into that into that world, and and what's different about the fans from, let's say, the devoted customers of a retailer or a fashion icon? It's a great question. Um, first and foremost, um, let me say that I've been going to the U.S. Open since I was four. I come from a tennis wow. family. And okay. I am a tennis player. However, I don't play with a lot of people in the office because they are really tennis players. Um, but it's it's not it's not a prerequisite to actually work at the USTA. Um, so that wasn't like part of the interview. You didn't no. have to like play the rest of the executive team. Okay, got it. Yeah. No, you don't have to play the rest of the executive team. But I, I think in sure. all jobs, and particularly if you work in sports, um, to have a passion for that sport is particularly important, uh, especially for the USTA. In that we are a non for profit. And our mission is to promote tennis in America. So you really have to feel passionate about that. So my job is twofold. And one is, you know, to ensure that the customer experience at the U.S. Open is the best in class. And uh, we are constantly getting new tennis uh, fans into the funnel, um, as well as delighting people that have been with us for a very long time, um, as well as getting more people to participate in the sport. Coming from retail, um, as I think we all know, retailers know so much about our shopping behaviors. Um, I could tell you right now, even you know, now it's scary in that you know, my entire Facebook feed is you know selling me um, exactly what I just spoke about two seconds ago. But you know, yeah, isn't that scary? Oh, they're listening, folks. They're listening. <laughs> and from a retail perspective, we know so much about customers' uh, spending habits, what they like, what they don't like, and marketing nowadays is all about personalization and all about, you know, this customer experience. So when the USTA was looking to evolve the conversation with fans and prospective players, they wanted someone outside of the tennis industry. So um, that, you know, called within the retail. And thankfully, I got the job because it's a fantastic place to work. Uh, and, you know, the, the conversation with fans um, and players is a little different you know, than selling a lipstick or a luxury purse, um, but you're selling an experience when you think about the U.S. Open. You know, if you're selling, you know, a great seat uh, down on courtside uh, and a hospitality uh, package with some bells and whistles on it, um, it's no different than, you know, selling um, a trunk show to someone that is obsessed with the designer to, you know, get that extra special kind of touch point so that there are similarities. Um, that said, the product obviously is so different for sure. I have to ask, did it feel like a dream come true after all of those years of attending the U.S. Open as a spectator to then have the chance to lead that brand, which you so loved over the years? Does it feel any different from the other side of the experience? I just, just personally, before, you know, managing all of the bells and whistles, I, I'm just curious, like what it, I, I just remember the first time that I went to like a real baseball game, for instance, after playing like Little League and being just like overcome. Now you had had that like stadium, like wow moment. 
ever since childhood. But I'm just curious, like personally, how did, how did it feel to finally be there as like an operator rather than as like a, a viewer? I could say to this day, after six and a half years, I still get chills walking into Arthur Ashe Stadium and walking on the court and actually having an office there. It doesn't get old. It is uh, a privilege, um, as we like to say, to be a steward of the brand and to be able to work on it. So there really is nothing like it. Um, And to be able to kind of add to the experience and grow the brand. Now, in those six and a half years, the ways in which uh, customers engaging with retail, fans engaging with sports uh, have, of course, changed and evolved. Some trends pulled forward due to global macroeconomic and geopolitical events and, and some just organically. I'm curious, given your background in retail and my, my background, actually, before I ever got on any microphone was in retail analytics. So I'm, I'm well aware of the, the deep amount of research that goes into consumer behavior. I'm curious, in your tenure serving as the steward of the USTA, how has the fans' engagement with the sport evolved over that time? And then I'll move forward to the most recent U.S. Open as a point in time. But I'm curious about the, the spread. No, absolutely. I mean, I think that people always connected with specific players and followed specific players. Um, and we have kind of noticed that in the way people kind of uh, look at our content, um, both on our website um, as well as on our app. And we've tried to kind of evolve um, all of our channels with that in mind. So for example, um, with our app, you know, you can have a different experience if you're at the kind of tennis center or if you're you know, using the app at home and you could follow different players. And we have you know, ensured that the content can be searchable by players and information like that. Um, you know, we have an international audience um, that has evolved over the years. And we make sure that we are talking to kind of the broad spectrum of people. And then social media um, is, you know, particularly a great avenue for us. We've had about 1 billion engagements this last U.S. Open, which is remarkable. And that's only over a two-week time frame. Um, And, you know, we have found great success in something like Instagram Reels, in which we have, you know, this unique content in which we co-collaborate with the players or an influencer for that matter. um, And it really increases um, our lift and engagement with the audience and allows us to really have these authentic conversations with these kind of people who are either tennis stars or tennis enthusiasts and giving a different point of view. Uh, We've also, you know, activated YouTube for highlights, you know, because people love highlights. Unlike um, other tennis entities out there, we actually report on tennis throughout the year. We have an always-on strategy. So, for example, if you're watching Roland Garros um, and there is a head-to-head um, on uh, television, um, we actually play on YouTube the last time they played possibly um, at the U.S. Open. Or we'll give stats on um, different social media um, just to educate it. So we know that fans want statistics, want education, and um, we always bring that back to the U.S. Open. So I think that people want more and more um, and are kind of experienced content on all different channels. Yeah, I've seen that come to light, especially in sports uh, gambling, actually, uh, where the sort of casinos of yours would just literally be a sports book where you would go and bet on a line. You know, nowadays, and we've, we've 
had it here on this podcast. We had an example of it earlier this year where, you know, people led with that sort of information first, that sort of content first. You hook people that way and then, and then sure, you push them down the funnel and maybe they do something. In this case, like that always on source is probably something that they craved. I'm sure you did plenty of research on that. And that, as I'm sure you also know, is how you stay relevant throughout the year when maybe, like for example, right now in a period of, of reflection, you can look back, but these other channels are a great way of doing that. And then when you're in the action, they have so many different ways of engaging. Did you see anything new or different or unexpected from the fans at this particular U.S. Open as compared to what you'd seen before? What's been new in terms of a cutting-edge behavior or observation that you noticed now that you're on the other side of it? I'm always amazed at the amount of honey juices people actually have. Um, (laughs) You know, uh, you know. The behavior is tried and true at the U.S. Open. I mean, there's nothing like being at the U.S. Open, the energy um, and the crowd, if you're on site. The crowd really, um, I wouldn't say carries the player, but I can't imagine, um, you know, the, the, the remarkable thing when Serena was playing is if you were playing against Serena at the U.S. Open, I kept feeling, oh, my God, I can't, I can't imagine being the person on the other side of the net uh, because, like, the crowd was so kind of – bringing Serena kind of with them. So that isn't changed, but it was so enhanced this year. And it always amazes me, um, you know, that kind of crowd experience because there's nothing like it in that energy. Um, And then, you know, on our social media where, you know, fans can engage, uh, you know, they have opinions um, and, you know, they speak to each other. Um, We moderate it um, just to make sure that, you know, people aren't saying, you know, terrible things. That being said, I mean, there's crazy conversations that happen um, and debates. Obviously, you know, people um, were very passionate about Novak playing or not playing. It had nothing to do with the U.S. Open because, you know, that was a, you know, um, a country decision um, on the vaccination. But, you know, fans are passionate, have opinions, um, and they're not shy to let their voices um, be heard, um, whether it's, you know, in the social universe or in the stadium itself. My guess is that you are there to enable and empower that conversation, of course, moderate it in its various colors. But what I have found is that this newest generation of fan of any type of sport is just as concerned about what happens on the court as what happens off the court. And we just had a great conversation with U.S. Soccer last week where they mimicked the same. I'm curious what you have seen over the past, let's say, year or two to back that observation up that the next-gen fan is equally caring about those two sides and then how you've thoughtfully stepped in. Of course, you you moderate and curate an online brand presence for that where passionate fans talk. But I'm curious what else you've seen. You know, um, when we came back, you know, after the pandemic, um, it was uh, definitely during a time of unrest. And we definitely saw that. We did it mindfully. Um, We had no fans in in the stadium. Um, We used kind of that platform to allow us to speak out on different things. You know, there was a lot of unrest that was happening um, in in the world at the time. Um, We supported all of that um, during the pandemic. During um, 2020, uh, we had something called Champion to Champion, uh, 
where we partnered with tennis players and paired them up with first responders um, or people in um, the education area where uh, they had conversations where one champion would honor another champion. And we actually put that on ESPN um, and on all of our channels at the coin toss. And it really showed that, you know, not only the USTA is kind of being present in what's going on in the world, um, but all of our players as well. Um, and we've also found that players, and a lot of them, the younger players, like a Coco Goff or a Francis Tiafo, really um, have shown their voice, both on the court or off the court, or Naomi Osaka with Black Lives Matter. Um, and I think, you know, they've grown up um, on these kind of social platforms, and they're, they're not shy of speaking up and kind of standing behind um, what is important to them. Um, and we, you know, want to kind of partner with them um, to make sure that their voices are heard. Sure. It creates a, a question in my mind of not necessarily two audiences, but of two validations for listening to somebody in any sports community, but tennis included. On the one side, raw on-court performance best in the world. You want to hear their perspectives, what they're doing, just because they are elite and they're at the top of their game. And then there is another side, which often intersects this, the middle of this Venn diagram is quite large, but the other circle, let's say, are the top socially minded players out there who have exceptionally strong voices and are seen as the foremost like, thinkers out there outside of what they do on the court. You have the privilege of facilitating sort of both sides and that very large middle of the Venn diagram. I'm curious how you thoughtfully facilitate both in light of passionate fans who sometimes care about one way more than the other. And to a select few, some of those might be opposed. I'm curious how you navigate through it all. You know, it's an interesting question. It's something that we debate all the time with our board. Um, where should the USTA stand on all of these kind of like social issues um, and some of the unrest that's happening in the country? Generally speaking, um, we stay away from politics because um, as the national governing body of tennis, I mean, I don't think that we, you know, have the privilege of taking that stance and we stay um, very neutral. That being said, I don't think that any organization in modern day can um, not comment on, on certain things that are happening in the world. Um, and you know, diversity, inclusion, and belonging you know, continues to be incredibly important for the USTA. I mean, we have a platform called Be Open, um, which we launched in 2019, in which we say that um, if you keep an open mind, um, great things can happen on or off the court. And in doing so, um, we have put out a tremendous amount of content um, that supports that and shown how tennis um, has been that bridge kind of throughout the years um, with starting with, you know, Billie Jean King and equal pay and, you know, the USTA having equal pay um, as a tournament uh, to um, us being a diverse sport with Arthur Ashe um, and Serena and Venus and Francis and Naomi and Coco um, and how the organization is you know, giving back through our foundation and our NJTLs, which was started by Arthur Ashe um, and trying to you know, diversify tennis by bringing it to kind of um, low areas um, that um, are, are under-resourced across the country. 
So uh, we, you know, try to use our platform um, to educate on that and, you know, to uh, bring that conversation um, up. You know, we always have naysayers and there's always trolls on social media that say that we should just focus on tennis. But I don't think that um, any modern day um, brand can stay away from it. Yeah, I, I think that voice is thankfully getting a little quieter. It's becoming a little bit more accepted to do it. Um, I would associate that a lot of the time with sort of a, a troll type environment. And I agree as somebody who is the steward of a brand that caters to all sorts of people and causes. I mean, you, you can't both support it on the content front, you know, uh, evolve in the way that you engage with fans and, and not have a perspective because the fans who are predominantly, you know, passionate, uh, want that, you know, and at a certain point you have to serve the fan, you know, uh, and that means you sometimes you just have to take a stand and these are important. So with that, because this, this is something which to me, I, I mean, I've seen it over the last several years, obviously I'm sure that you have even, you know, between in, in the six and a half years that you've been with the sport, I got to talk about next year between year six and a half and year seven and a half. I want to know what you're most excited about. I want to know about your thoughts on the future of the sport, the future of the ways in which fans engage. Because even in the world of tennis, even though again I'm, I'm I don't I'm not an every day every tournament watcher. All right, we, we can we can level with that. But even within other sports, I have seen the role of technology on the field evolve in crazy ways. I feel like I remember the first time, and I don't even remember when it was, but I think it was recently. The first time I saw like a line call where like the ball's either in or out. And I'd never even hardly even seen that before. I was like, okay, so like this is much more, I see it more in soccer. That's because I, I follow soccer a little bit more. But that has to equate to the ways in which you are engaging fans on platform, whether it be like live down to the minute experiences, that commentary that you had talked about all year round, that always on educational resource. It's a very big question, but because this is the future of fandom, I got to round out with this. What are you most excited about when it comes to that future? I mean, I think you're totally on the point um, that that technology is actually Hawkeye, um, and it actually um, our line judges um, are are no longer are no longer human. It's an exciting time um, for technology, um, and I think on the analytical front, um, our player development team um, is you know working with um, many people, um, IBM being one of them, um, who's been doing some wonderful things with AI and and Watson um, of what can really you know, be seen for a fan um, who's really interested in the analytics and the strategy um, and the stats um, and and kind of how to engage in it. And as you said, I think that the betting world um, will be super excited about it as well from a fandom yes. perspective. Um, and someone, that, you know, I think that we'll see a lot there. As I said earlier, I think the torch um, has been kind of, um, you know, sent down. Um, so all of these new players, the fans are going to get to know and kind of uh, see how they're playing, uh, get to know their personalities, um, see what they're all about from a platform standpoint. Um, I think, you know, the future of tennis in that way is incredibly bright. Um, I also think, and I, I have to plug it because um, I am for not-for-profit, that the future is incredibly bright um, for recreational play. Um, and actually, you know, fans, um, you know, getting out there and picking up a racket because, you know, we've had a 29% lift since 20, uh, 2019. And I think it was a little help of COVID because it's a safe sport, um, you know, but I think that, you know, tennis, I, 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 you know, when I first got hired, they're like, how do you make tennis cool again? Um, and, 
I, I can't take credit for it, but I think it is in the zeitgeist now uh, again. Um, and I think it is, you know, going back into the golden age um, where people want not only to come to the U.S. Open for, you know, that um, on ground experience, um, but are consuming it um you know, on the web, um, maybe even in Web3 um, eventually, um, you know, because our fellow uh, brands of the AO um, has done some incredibly um, fun stuff um, with that. Um, and I think, you know, there's there's a lot to be done in that area. I'm going to round out with a couple of rapid fire questions. because A yeah. couple of things just came to mind, but I think we can cover them quickly. Number one, you go back to being a not-for-profit. Obviously, that is much different from being in the for-profit retailer fashion industry. Does that allow for more investment back into the sport and the experience? I'm just curious what that shift meant for you as a brand steward when you made that change back in 16. Well, first and foremost, um, I smile every day that I don't have to worry about Black Friday. Um, from a retail perspective, <laughs> okay. that is, you know, is always, you know, a challenging day uh, to prepare for. You know, the U.S. Open, we like to call um, the bake sale. Um, even though we're a not-for-profit, we are an incredibly profitable one in which everything that we make at the U.S. Open goes back into the sport and to the grassroots. And we have 17 sections across the country uh, that are partners um, in getting, you know, tennis and participation into the field. Um, so while we're a non-for-profit, um, it is a privilege to be um, one that can support the growth. I have another one. Do you see pickleball as a friendly competition, uh, a threat, or just a tide that's lifting all boats? Well, pickleball, padel, um, paddle tennis, um, you know, uh, tennis, um, they're all racket sports. Um, and at the end of the day, we're a health and wellness company. And getting people out there um, and kind of participating in racket sports is good for the industry. Um, and it's, it's good for humanity, if I can go that far. Um, the one thing I could say about pickleball, um, which we are trying to do, is to work with them on blended lines. Uh, so when you go to a park, a public park, um, or even a private facility, uh, we are able to share our kind of infrastructure. So um, there is a way um, in which we can all work together. One player that fans should have their eye on for next year, sort of like the Alcaraz of this year. Who should who should people know is on the come up? You know, it is an incredible time for tennis, um, especially American tennis. Um, when you think about the Americans coming up, you have Coco Gauff, you have Jessica Pagula, you have Francis Tiafo, uh, you have Taylor Fritz. I'm betting on the Americans. Watch them. They are um, really strong right now. Love it. Love it. Last one. It's a fill in the blank. I do this with a couple of guests and I'd just like to get your take. Finish this sentence for me. I can tell you for sure that the future of fandom will not include blank. For sure. I could tell you for possibly sure. Um, I don't see the future of fandom really um, in tennis NFTs. Um, we haven't kind of cracked that nugget yet. Um, so um, I am cautiously looking um, at how to engage in that space. Well, we'll all look forward to seeing it. That, that, that's come with varied levels of interest and excitement, especially through, you know, 21 and 22. Uh, what I can say for sure is that, A, this has been a fantastic conversation. I now know a lot more about how, how you run the sport. And B, I think we can all get excited about what's to come in 23 and going forward. Uh, for sharing a little bit of that perspective with me, um, 
there's been a lot of love. Can I say that? Is that a good, is that a good tennis way to, to wordplay out of here? Uh, Amy, <laughs> thank you so much for joining us. Thank you very much. Thanks again to Amy Choin from USTA for joining us. I got to say, this conversation made me think a lot about the future of American athletes relative to the world. And it seems like tennis will be a particularly good opportunity for us to shine and, of course, thrill fans along the way. And thanks to you, of course, the listener, for exploring the future of fandom with us. I'd encourage you to stay connected, obviously, so subscribe to us wherever you listen to your podcasts or how about Andor? You can also find all of our content livelike.com slash podcast and on LinkedIn at livelike and on Twitter at livelikeinc. I look forward to predicting the future again with you real soon. And until then, I'm Adam Connor saying so long and thanks for being a fan. <laughs>